Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Beaumont. And I'm Paul Duncan. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. And if you believe in the Songcraft mission, please consider supporting us by visiting patreon.com slash songcraftshow. Our guest on this episode of Songcraft is Foy Vance. The Northern Irish singer-songwriter launched his recording career with his own record label and quickly gained attention as his songs were used on various TV shows. Touring with Ed Sheeran exposed his music to a wider audience, and his 2013 album Joy of Nothing, which featured a collaboration with Bonnie Raitt, won the inaugural Northern Ireland Music Prize for Best Album. After signing with Sheeran's Gingerbread Man label, Vance released his third studio album, The Wild Swan, which was executive produced by Elton John and released in 2016. Aside from his own recordings, Foy co-wrote four songs on Ed Sheeran's Multiply album from 2017 and four more on Sheeran's Divide LP from 2017. Additionally, Foy's songs have been recorded by Alicia Keys, Miranda Lambert, Her, Keith Urban, Rag and Bone Man, and others. In total, Foy has released nine EPs and six studio albums. His most recent, and his fourth for Gingerbread Man Records, is called Signs of Life. Part 1 well, Scott, today's conversation is with Foy Vance, who uh, is quickly becoming one of my favorite songwriters these days. I'm oh, is that right? Really enjoying the music that yeah. um, that we've been digging through on this episode. Um, and we did this uh, episode on Zoom, which yes. we've started doing a lot of them lately. And normally we turn the cameras off and we just have a Zoom audio conversation. But Foy left his camera on. He did. Um, which Even though we cool. turned ours Even off. Even though we turned ours off, he was, you know, he left his on. And what I didn't know was just how majestic his mustache is. He does have a fine mustache. And we are not the type of people to necessarily ask somebody questions about their mustache, but we are the type of people to talk about mustaches Oh yeah, in the intro. Absolutely. And, we uh, are those people. I don't know if anybody out there right now in music has a better mustache than Foy Vance. <sighs> That's a good question. Uh, but in the history of music, mm. I'm not talking about right now, but I'm talking about 20 years back, 30 years back, 40 right, years back, right. more, there have been some incredible mustaches. Yeah, yeah. I'll say this before we talk about other musical mustaches. Yeah. Uh, Foy Vance's mustache, I think what's so great about it is it's it's uh, it's got I think I have some screenshots actually from our Zoom conversation. So we'll post uh, some photos on our on our socials. But uh, he uses like the wax, you yeah. know, yeah. and he looks like uh, he looks like one of those guys that would be like boxing in like the 1800s you totally. know with like his fists turned like the outside way instead of the you know what i mean like where like the forearms kind of facing the opponent yeah uh, you'd see the picture like on an old wendy's table right. where they did like newsprint right. wendy's for their tape if anybody remembers that you're old like us um yeah like i feel like he should have like a black and white striped like leotard where he's like holding a big you know barbell with one hand or like raleigh fingers <laughs> i know who that I is i know you know who that is <laughs> Because you're not a baseball guy, but I think you were a baseball card guy at yeah, one point. That's yeah, that's true. And I'm a mustache guy. So, yeah. um, <laughs> but I, like, I, this might be the best mustache since uh, Freddie Mercury probably leads the way in right. terms of mustache recognition in okay. music. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's different kinds of mustaches in, in music. Okay. Um, you know, your Freddie Mercury mustache is uh, your well groomed mustache. Yeah. But then it's beefy. Yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's got, a, it's, it's doing a job. Yeah. Uh, but it's also well groomed. 
True, true. Um, it's well taken care of. Whereas I think, you know, you've got the David Crosby or the right. like Jeff Skunk Baxter from the Doobie Brothers. I feel like maybe you had to have a mustache to be in the Doobie Brothers. But... I don't feel like those guys have a mustache. I feel like those mustaches have faces. <laughs> right. Those are guys where uh, you notice like, um, you know, with the whole COVID-19 thing, you would have conversations with people that had masks on and you realize how much you actually rely on looking at people's mouths right. uh, to understand what they're saying. Those guys have the kind of mustaches where it doesn't matter if they're not wearing a mask. You, you cannot see the mouth. And I would think it would interfere uh, with eating. And weirdly, I have eaten uh, a meal twice with David Crosby in, in restaurants. Right. And uh, I have not noticed any interference. He does just fine. He seems to like it just sort of parts and gets out of the way for his food uh like magically but it looked to me it seems like did you pray before the food that, <laughs> that might be what happened it was yeah parting of the mustache david crosby's known as a, as a man of prayer right um <laughs> maybe not so much uh but yeah there's there's something about that type of mustache that right. is like it's very 70s it's very like it it seems kind of intrusive uh but they seem to make it work then you got like prince's mustache which is just like an eyebrow that's lower on his face <laughs> Right. It's a lady's eyebrow. <laughs> I mean, you talk about manicured. Yeah, like that's yeah. well taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, Probably real. I, I don't even Maybe know. Real? I mean, it's got to be real. I don't even know what tools one uses to get that kind of mustache. I don't either, especially back then. It's very like John Waters where it's like that, you know, like <laughs> right. I don't know how that happens. Right. And and if you get up in the morning, is it like, ooh, my mustache is getting out of control. <laughs> Prince, you got to kind of like trim that thing down. I feel like he always looked perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see like, <laughs> yeah, like if you have manicured facial hair, but then you don't like, you know, shave the parts around it for a couple of days, you're going to have like uh, a nice thick mustache, but then like beard Dusting. stubble. Yeah. yeah. Like did Prince ever have like stubble around his perfectly manicured mustache? I, I, I doubt probably, it. but perfectly manicured stubble, you know, <laughs> right. he probably knew how to grow in. <laughs> he had instructed it, you know, um, it, but like just, I even looked at a, a little list here beforehand, a couple of pictures, Brad Delp from Boston. Great mustache. Serious mustache. Yeah. Um, Morris Day, uh, kind of a contemporary and colleague of, of Prince. Um, but can we talk about Lemmy for a second? Oh, yeah. That guy had it going on. Uh, which is basically the same type of mustache as you'd see on like a Dwayne Allman. Right, yes. Or Very, even a Derek Smalls. Yeah, Derek Smalls. I was going to say, it's the connection of the, the mustache to the sideburns. Yeah. I think that's doing more work than uh than a mustache I, it's actually if if princess mustache was like a lower eyebrow that's just a higher beard i think it's a beard that got knocked up like <laughs> wait hold on a second no i see what I don't you're mean saying knocked up. no right right yeah, yeah, i mean it's it not took a an pregnant impact. beard yeah <laughs> we're gonna leave that in let's leave that in yeah I, let's, I'm, leave, I'm let's leave it that. in yeah <laughs> But the thing about those beards that are connected to the mutton chops, uh, like Foy Vance, they also harken very much back. They're very Civil War, you know. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, you, you've you've seen that in some some grainy black and white photos yeah. from like from the... sideburns to Kenburns. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I feel like it's okay for you to talk about this because you've got remarkable facial hair. I do have, uh, I do have, for those who don't know, I have a beard that goes, uh, I'd say at this right now it's, it's like down like yeah. mid chest, which every beard includes a mustache, unless you've got like the Abe Lincoln thing going on and your beard yeah. does include a mustache. So you have a mustache. I have a, I have a podcast mustache, <laughs> which is not as cool as a rock and roll mustache. And I, I have kind of like a weird dusting of, of white gray. Yeah. Stuff. You have something happening on your face for yeah, sure. In fact, I have to kind of keep this mustache going. It's the only 
hair on my face that's not white anymore. It's right, this little right. brown strip here. Yeah. So yeah. we're, we're going to keep that going. I, I like it. it. It makes you look youthful. But it's nowhere near the, the beauty of Foy Vance's mustache. And uh, and the beauty of his songs even transcends the beauty of his mustache. And that's saying something. It, it is saying something. So I, I'm sorry you guys won't get to uh, experience the mustache uh, during the interview. But um, what he has to say is amazing. Uh, the songs are amazing. He, he's just, he's an inspiring dude. Um, so I'm, I'm really stoked to get into this conversation. Definitely. And uh, before we do, I want to talk about, as we often do, our friends at Pearl Snap Studios there in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, when you have cultivated the right mustache <laughs> and you have the kind of mustache that says, I am ready to be an artist, uh, you're going to need more than that mustache. You're going to need talent and you're going to need the right people around you to help bring your musical vision to life. And that's what Justin and his team over at Pearl Snap Studios can do for you. Yeah, they're not only good at like recognizing you know the good in the song and bringing it out, but they can kind of trim the song down if they need to. They can shave off a few seconds oh if they must and ultimately put that thing on wax. Uh, this is getting a little hairy. I'm sorry for giving you so much lip. <laughs> If you have a song idea that you want to hear as an actual produced demo, it can be a, a cost-effective stripped-down demo. It can be a full-on Phil Spector wall of sound over-the-top demo if you want to spend that kind of money on, on the demo of your song. Or even if you're looking to make an entire album, definitely go to PearlSnapStudios.com. Connect with Justin. Tell them Songcraft sent you. They'll give you a discount, and they do fabulous work. John Oates. <laughs> Part two. Foy, welcome to Songcraft. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. Um, your most recent album is Signs of Life, and the biggest song on that record is probably Sapling. And I understand that that song emerged as kind of a breakthrough after a bit of a dry spell for you um, without touring and, and not necessarily coming up with songs that particularly excited you and also kind of came out of a period uh, of emerging from some substance use. And um, maybe that song in some ways kind of represented a, a creative uh, rebirth for you. Uh, well, and that's, that's accurate, by the way. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. So after I'd come off the road and decided to, you know, to, to stay off the road for a while, which was November 4th, 2017, uh, was the last gig I did. And I had nothing in the diary and I didn't want anything in the diary. And so I was just going to the studio to write and literally nothing was coming. Uh, sort, sort of nothing worse. There's plenty of, plenty of ideas coming. And, you know, I was recording plenty of things, but I don't know, none of it felt uh, worthy of finishing, quite frankly. Um, and I think, what, I think what that was, what, what I realized was it's because I was still masking, you know, I'd still had my tour life hat on. I was mm. still drinking really heavily. I was on codeine at the time, a lot of codeine and whatever else. Uh, and I think I, that lingered after tour life stopped. Yeah. That lingered and you can get away with that on tour life. You know, you can almost go unnoticed. In fact, no one actually knew I was on codeine because mm. you can disguise that kind of thing. Yeah. You can disguise it on like on tour life. But when you're at home in domestic situations, having a having a glass of last night's wine at nine in the morning suddenly doesn't look as normal you know right what's going on and what's going on with you and where like where is this headed yeah yeah uh, and i think it was just a culmination of the people that care for me know me and love me 
reaching out and saying, Hey, this has really got to stop. Cause like, where's the, where's the end point of this? Yeah. And, we, and you know, it's not going to take much thought to figure that one out, you know, start losing, start losing things. Family would be the first to go then health and then, you know, then life. Yeah. So it was just a, re- a wake up call. And I'd actually had the, the riff for sapling for a long time, but never really knew, uh, like I say, anytime I approached it lyrically, just anything I was saying felt borrowed uh, until sapling. But if I woke in the morning to find you were gone, I know I'd try and find the will to be strong. But am I strong enough? Am I strong enough? I once built a power I could build you a home together forever, but forever and on is still not long enough. It's still not long enough. I realized, hang on, I've got I've got this opportunity here. I'm not sat in a flat on my own across from a wine mark. I've got, I'm surrounded by family and friends that love me. I've got a studio that I can record in. I've got a desire and an ability to write songs. I mean, what am I doing, doing yeah. this to myself all day, every day Yeah. when I could be doing that? You know, the, uh, I, I sat back to listen to the record and, you know, it, I just kind of had my eyes closed and I'm listening. And all of a sudden I hear the very first line, I hear the word ennui. And I opened my eyes. I said, did he really just use that word? I mean, I was immediately struck by what a sort of an, an underused word like that. You know, I'm yeah, curious. I'm bringing on we in the show business. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's such the right word. And it, it it's, uh you know, it's not just a boredom. It's kind of like a there's a, a little more of an, an ethereal quality to it. It's it's a, a state of being in a way, you know, and, and the fact that it's even just sort of French, it feels kind of an, uh, there's an elegance to it. But, um, you know, <laughs> you, you, we're talking about breaking through kind of a, a, a mental malaise, um, you know, an emotional malaise. And I, I'm curious, you know, some of that you, we're attributing to drug and drink. Was that ever something that you viewed as uh, as a, uh, a tool for creating because I know a lot of creatives feel like oh I'm, I'm way better when I've had a few drinks or I'm way better when I've smoked a joint or and then th- there are times you go oh no, actually it's not helping me I mean have you had a, a back and forth relationship that way with your creativity tied to substances oh yes I have said I need to be high to write and get lyrics and get the right kind of melodies yeah um but quite frankly that's bullshit Hmm. They did not help me at all. You're but you're better and clearer of mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that I not that I'm completely sober right now. I must I must say I you know I still have a my sobriety is intermittent. I'm you know it's a daily struggle and I work on it. Some days I'm better than others and um. But I know on the times when I, the cleaner I am, the, the more effective I am. Yeah. The better I get, the better I, and the better I feel, and it's a I don't know what it is, man. A self destruct. I don't know, self-destruct button in me or something. Or, well, it's in a lot of us, I guess, you know. We all so. do the things that we don't want to do, and we don't do the things we know would be good for us. How many mm. people say that? Just about yeah. everyone, right? Well, I don't think you're anywhere close to alone in that. Yeah. Well, another standout track, I think, um, on Signs of Life is We Can't Be Tamed. And if there comes an
love to just hear a bit about the inspiration uh, for for that song and and you know how how that one kind of came together for you. Uh, I guess just a longing for a lion like partner, a primal partner. Hmm. It'll just be wild for you. Uh, and also just the, the kind of the absolute um, disassociation with anything modern. Hmm. There's nothing in that that has any human intent in it. You know, it's about a different, uh, to me, it's about a, a love. I mean, the, when kids fall in love now, my daughter's 18, so I know all about her and all her friends. It's 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 so based on this social media thing, and so the, the tiniest things get misread, and and everyone's anxious. And I'm thinking, do you know what? You'd be better put your phones away and went jump on the river, and you know what I mean? Go swim, <laughs> go swim down the river, go and climb them, climb a mountain, and you know, take a load of mushrooms at the top. You know, <laughs> go, and, and go and live, go and do stuff like that. Get away from all that. Get go back. You want to get. You want to get something real and true and sacred, if you like, then I think you got to look backwards. You got to look. Yeah. Or look, not even backwards, actually. Just look around. You look beyond the human intent. Stand in mountains. Stand by water. That'll sort you out. You know, I, I think uh, the three of us are all kind of right about the same age. And when you describe this sort of getting away from social media, it just, I think, oh, that sounds like my childhood. You know, it's going out mm -hmm. and playing, digging in the dirt, you know, falling in a creek. <laughs> uh, both <laughs> Scott and I grew up in Tennessee, and, and there was plenty of plenty of land to run in. I'm curious about uh, your childhood and what that environment was like, and particularly um, what music were you absorbing as a kid and how did that kind of inform, you know, the man and the writer and the artist you've become? Well, do you know what? That's a, that's a, that's a big question, isn't it? Shall I just hit you with the bullet points? We'll fast track <laughs> sure. um, Well, okay. I mean, the first thing, the first, it's still a true love of mine now, but my dad was a preacher. Hmm. Uh, and when I was eight months old, he moved me and my three brothers and my mom and him out to o Canton, Oklahoma. And we lived in Canton, Oklahoma, out there for three or four years. And he built a church there, like literally, wow. with his hands and a, and a handful of other farmers. And then he preached in that church, and we lived there. And it was a Church of Christ church, which, for whatever reason, you know, uh, think that you shouldn't have instruments in right. church. But, right. you know, whatever, it's cool. <laughs> Each to their own. Um, but the upside of that was just voices, hmm. just voices. Cause people would find their, you know, altos would find their part. Tenors would find their part, hmm. you know, sopranos, everyone's sort of naturally. And then there'd be the ones that would just flow through it all. And, uh, the singing was incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. And also the nature of the songs, you know what I mean? That's, when you're singing those songs, irrespective of what you believe, it's not like I'm a born again Christian and believe, you know, it's that those songs, uh, certainly in that setting, perhaps not in today's church, but those songs in that setting were not being sung with fervor because they were going to get money from it or they were going to get notoriety from it. Or it was an outpouring of their spirits. It was an outpouring of what they were feeling. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And like connecting with that, connecting with that reality of what song actually is. Yeah. This is what this actually is. It's way beyond anything. I mean, not, I didn't make that. I didn't make that realization at three years old. By the way, it's a right. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, a first love, I'd say. Just a cappella, just voice, just the voice on its own is fine enough. Um, but then growing up in a household with three older brothers, 
uh, Easton was an avid record collector, so he had everything from Meatloaf, Michael Jackson, and just everything in between. Anything that was in the charts, anything. Um, the next brother, he actually had old eight-track tapes, you know, like trucker music and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, he brought that back in the States. Uh, and he was into that, and he was into the jam and the who and that whole sort of mod scene. And then the next brother, Paul, he was into, he was a real punk, sort of punk sky. He was into like the specials and that, but mostly it was like Sex Pistols, The Damned, The Clash. Uh, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is it all sounded like music to me. Yeah. It all, all of it, there was either, it, there was, there were good punk songs and punk songs that I thought were terrible, good country songs and ones that I thought were terrible. I don't know. I, I've always had an insatiable desire for music, though, that's for sure. And my parents too. My dad was an avid singer singing around the house. He loved American folk, big John Denver fan. Well, you know, as Paul mentioned, we, uh, you know, all of us are about the same age. And so we have seen the changes in the way the music industry works, uh, you know, over the last couple of decades. And, and as a touring and, and working musician, you know, the, the world that you work in, uh, today is is probably very different from the the world of you know your musical heroes and and kind of how the music industry worked and one of the the things that we've really seen a huge rise of in the last uh, couple of decades is this idea of sync licensing that one of the ways to really break through uh, in terms of music isn't necessarily radio play anymore but the right you know placement on a, on a film or TV show so I, I want to go back to your you know, kind of early career. Um, your first single um, was Gabriel and the Vagabond. Well, the tramp started to cry. It kept saying, why, why, why can't you see I'm a darling? I'm 32 and I've got this one pair of shoes and if I taste in the I think it's clear to see that even God don't love me or else why would he leave me this way? Both that song and the B-side, Indiscriminate Act of Kindness, um, both those songs were on Grey's Anatomy. And, you know, for some people, that's how they first started to become aware you know people hear a song on a show and they go oh that's cool who is that and they look it up and then they kind of go down the rabbit hole and find more about the artist um would love to hear a little bit about knowing that that's the world uh that you operate in um uh, does that in any way impact your writing i mean when you're writing songs do you think like oh man this would be like a killer sink for this type of scene or 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 that type of scene is it is it possible to to keep those things separate in your mind or or does knowing that that's uh, an important outlet even kind of guide the creative process not remotely Hmm. um i have never sent a song anywhere for to be synced anywhere or done it you know what i mean yeah it's um I looked down the barrel of that when I first started out and like <clears throat> I released Hope in what, 2007? And I set up my own label for that. So th- at that point in time, for, for, a, for a short period of time, I had to make myself aware of what was going on in the industry because I had this, any, any deal that we were offered, I just thought, I, did, I just didn't want to, it just felt, I didn't want to do it. I had a, mm, I had a yeah. thought of how it would work. I called the label word of mouth because I figured word of mouth is the best way to get shit around. If I can just right. gig, if I can get support acts with, you just get me great artists and, I, and send me in as a support. 
and you know i go and just do that for everyone and just collect the fan base and if they like me then by word of mouth word will spread and more people will come back next time and if less people come back next time then it's time for me to rethink and maybe go back to coffee <laughs> you know right. it was a pretty simple whereas all the other all the other avenues of industry seemed so confusing and so full of wankers mm. um i thought okay so i'm gonna have to be hands-on here so i was hands-on for a while and i got a little bit of insight into the infrastructure of behind the scenes behind the curtain of industry but only what I needed to. And the second I didn't need that anymore, that room was, the curtains were not closed. I set fire to the fuckers. You know, uh -huh. I don't ever want to go through to that room again. But the, the truth is, music is way more than that. If yeah. my, you know, if, if it doesn't, if none of my songs ever get synced again, that's not gonna, I'm not going to stop writing songs. Right. <laughs> if right. no one comes to my concerts ever again, I'm not going to stop singing my songs. Right. I just won't do it in front of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's an you you talk about the things that you did and didn't recognize at three years old. You know that you didn't you know put things together, but there is something to the resonance of of what happens in the spirit of a three year old, and it sounds like that's something that's very precious to you of of preserving the way music interacts with your spirit when you hear it, when you create it, when you you know even when you walk away from a song it, that it's for the right reasons. Um, there, there seems to be a real integrity there. That's something that drives you. And listen, it's been, it has been tried and tested for sure. You know, uh, in the early days, even before it released Hope, I had songs that, you know, I once edited Indiscriminate Act of Kindness. So well, a song that is just a story, it's like kind of just, I don't know, taking a paragraph out of a poem or something. It's a story. It's an arc of a story. And they were like, oh, well, we need to cut it to get it on radio. And I said, okay, let's drop that couple of thousand so we can get this guy to do it. You know, because I was listening to the advice of others. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. You all know what you're doing. Okay. That's this is maybe how it works. That seems crazy to me. And of course, we paid the money, and it didn't. It didn't work out because the song was no longer the song. Right. No one it didn't resonate with anyone in the way. Yeah. Uh, it's just the fact that. Yeah. Anyway. So I have. I've done the odd thing like that. I've gone down down the odd avenue, of playing playing a bit of ball, but uh, and that's that's how I realized actually it's better for me to just I just need to write, go home, excavate think be honest mm. with myself uh, and be and 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 work quite frankly you know what i mean be be studious be fastidious get up and, yeah. and do, it, do it every day don't you know get behind the mule and, and plows the great tom Waits says yeah i mean you talk about a song like be the song i mean that you talk about placement on tv shows that was like on a host of tv shows a list that's of TV right shows. I always think about this concept as a writer of, you know, you've got different audiences along the way. And sometimes for people that co-write, their co-writer is their first audience. You throw out a line, you say, what do you think about this? And you gauge a reaction. Um, and, you know, we, I can see that on that song, we had audiences with shows like Private Practice, House, Arrow, Haven, Constantine, the film Warm Bodies. But who is your first audience? Is it someone in your home? Is it someone in your family that you play a song to? Hey, I got this idea. What do you think? Who's your first audience? Probably Bursky. Probably Steve mm -hmm. Bursky. I mean, as yeah. my, my manager. I sort yeah. of, I kind of spread it around a little bit because sometimes, you know, 
I, I, I write a lot of songs and, and the vast majority of them aren't the, ever going to go anywhere. Well, in fact, yeah, the vast majority of them will never see the light of day. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess I would send, I would send them to him. Yeah. First. But, but sometimes I don't want to send them everything. So sometimes if a mate's over and we're writing, I'll play them it or I'm not, I'm, I'm not precious about it, but uh, usually it would be my manager sending him first. You know, we kind of live in a, um, in a, in a culture where you, you use the phrase word of mouth earlier. And I think word of mouth is a, a very powerful way to uh, spread music because we are so inundated with music. You know, you open Spotify or YouTube or whatever, and there's just an avalanche of, there's no way to navigate, uh, <laughs> you know, all the music that's sort of coming at us like a fire hose without um, people in our lives saying, Hey, you should check this out. Or I, I think you'd like that or, you know, whatever. Um, I feel like that kind of happened for you in a way on a macro scale when you have a guy like Ed Sheeran who has a huge audience and he is telling his audience, he is championing your music. Um, and you know, I, I don't know where that relationship began, but your joy of nothing album from 2013, of course had the, the song guiding light, which is a, a duet that, that you and Ed, uh, did together. And, you know, that's a powerful, a powerful way to, to just get your, your music, uh, in, in the ears of some additional listeners and, and to give them that exposure. to hear a bit about um you know how that relationship formed and, and specifically a bit about the song guiding light and, and how that came together so yeah ed uh i think he first saw me play at a, a festival called why because there was a band playing called Niz loppy and he was a huge fan of that band so his dad had brought him to see that because he, he's such a fa like fanatical music fan live music fan his dad would have to take him to gigs all over the place Mm. all the time every week there wasn't a week that went by where he wasn't at a gig somewhere uh with his dad and he would follow this band this loppy and so that's where he first heard me and uh and then he came to like i think he came to like over 40 of the shows after that apparently wow. he said <laughs> his dad would bring him to norfolk to suffolk to, like anywhere they were closer um in london gigs and yeah I think there's a picture of him and I somewhere. I think I signed a CD live sessions in the birth of the toilet. There's a picture of me. Of the <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, when he, when he kind of came to prominence, obviously I didn't, I didn't know him and I didn't know it was the kid that I met. I just uh, got an email from a mutual friend, a, a photographer called Michael Leckie. He said, Look, Ed Sheeran wants to reach out to see if you're right. And he's like an up and coming artist and he's about to, he's about to get signed, about to do his first album. It's going to be huge. All this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. We'll get my email. And he sent me the, uh, he sent me an email. He sent me a team and another song. And I loved them. Yeah. I thought these are great, but I, I am of no use. To, I replied to him and said, look, man, these are incredible. You've got an, you've got your own vernacular, but to be honest with you, I, there's nothing I could bring to the table for this. This is your own vernacular. I can, uh, 
it's 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 a unique thing that I don't think I could help you with, but yeah. best of luck with everything. And and we kept in touch. We just kept in touch, and then he reached out one day and said, "Hey, you want to come on tour?" Huh. And by this stage, he the record was released, and he was like a big star. And anytime he'd yeah. email me now, I'd be going, "Flip, your words changing, mate, isn't it?" <laughs> you know, he, he was just like skyrocketing yeah. uh, and eventually he said like well you want to come out and tour and i just split up with my first wife hmm. like literally uh just after uh agreed to do the tour and when he asked me i was just going when's the next time a 38 year old baldy white irishman going to go on a bona fide <laughs> pop stars tour around the UK and I mean that's just not likely to happen singing songs about heartache and cancer you know what I mean <laughs> right. uh, so it's I just thought yeah I went for it and I went in the breakup my daughter ended up kind of with me shooting a complication um, and I had to call Ed and say look I don't know if I can do this tour because mm -hmm. I've got my daughter Yeah. and he said bring her I love well, it <laughs> we'll, we'll give her a bed on the bus amazing uh, and thus started the the sort of you know a, i don't know he's like family now um and with guiding light you know that's that's a there's a family called the mcdade family john mcdade like ed's longtime co-writer as well uh ed and i and him would write a lot together um yeah his uh, that song guiding light basically one of the first night i wrote it i was playing at a a publisher's party like uh from Snow Patrol have a publishing uh, venture and they were, they'd asked me to come and play it. So I, I did and I saw John at the door and I didn't really know John McDade terribly well at this point. We knew each other just from back home because it's a small scene, but we'd never really talked or whatever. And to cut a long story short, we got into a very deep conversation and it was, he revealed that his dad was passing away and the reason he had seven sisters there with him, all wearing fragile tops was because they were getting up the next morning and flying back to see their dad together they as soon as they heard the news they all flew from all parts of the world wherever they were wherever they were congregated yeah. in london and, and we're going back to see him the next day uh on that night i, I dedicated that song to the mcdade family mm. and said you know wish them well on their journey home and unbeknownst to me they that that was the first thing they sang when they first saw their daddy they walked through the door singing when i need to get home you're my guide and light and then it became the family song and then it was sung at his funeral and it's on his gravestone wow. and the whole wow. fam the whole family got tattoos uh, in irish this um uh, and ed and i were just very were very close to john and very close to the family and mm. it made uh i was it because it was i felt so mercenary at the time yeah. having ed sheeran on the record i'm going everyone's gonna think that this is just a, 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 you know, like trying to get a coup to get a name in the record. And, right, and then right, I remembered right. the golden rule. Who gives a fuck what people think? <laughs> you know what I mean? like, who gives yeah. a fuck? Do you, what do you think for it? Are you doing it for, what's the reason you're doing it? And uh, yeah, so it was, that's how, that's how that all kind of came about. Well, you know, you, you do seem like a, a man who's pretty sure of what he wants to do when, you know, when, when you take a step and, and you don't seem to, uh, harbor too much self-doubt which i think is is probably a, a positive thing for any musician who's kind of trying to make his way in the world but then i see these moments you know on that same record you got to do it with bonnie Raitt, and i think 
how would I feel standing in the studio with Bonnie Raitt? I'd be shaking in my boots. You know, you, you have these names like Bonnie and like, like Elton John doing dates with Elton John. Have there been some real pinch me moments for you when you're like, I can't believe I'm standing here? Loads. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> loads. Loads. <laughs> the reason Bonnie Raitt is on you and I is because you and I was written inspired by her. When, wow. I'm, when I went on that first tour with her, uh, opened up for her in the UK and Europe. I saw the light. I saw the <laughs> light. I have been exercised. <laughs> it, like I just, everything that I was thinking in my mind about building up to my own label, word of mouth. I was going, here's this woman. Bonnie wasn't at that time. She wasn't on the radio before she came to do tours. She wasn't on all the late night TV shows over in the UK. She wasn't on the breakfast show. She wasn't, she didn't have posters around the town. There weren't big ads out in the papers. And yet every single fucking place we went was rammed with music lovers. Wow. Rammed wow. to the rafters. And it hit me like a freight train. I was going, that's, that's definitely the right route for you. Build your, there's the relationship there. It's a direct one. Yeah. It's a very direct relationship that way. Yeah. And I'll keep doing it as long as you keep coming. You stop coming, I'll stop doing it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just that idea. It's you and I. That's all yeah. we need. You know, don't worry. Don't concern yourself with too much more than that. Just get in front of people and anyone that's into you go that way. Yeah. Although that was an embarrassing call to call Bonnie Raitt up and say, hey, Bonnie, look, I know you're a 10-time Grammy award-winning legend, but would you mind singing backing vocals on my record? Because <laughs> <laughs> there was nowhere right. naturally to put her in on a, on a verse. It, it didn't. That wouldn't have made sense, but the, right. her coming in on you and I, it just, I was like, oh, would you, would you even be interested? And, I, and she, uh, I thank God she did. Yeah. I, I never listened to that song, but sometimes I'll be somewhere and it'll come on and it never ceases to amaze. That's always a pinch me moment when it gets to yeah. the course and I go, fuck, I forgot. <laughs> there she is. Bonnie, because your voice, you hear it immediately. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, that was one of the most pinch me moments and just most inspiring. Give me a, give me a, a, a just kind of set the path for me. I was going, okay. I know what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Hard yeah. get out in front of people and just be as true as that woman. She's not out there wow. doing any, you know, tricks where she gets out, stands in front of the microphone and opens her mouth and then grass starts to grow down the microphone and grow over everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great description. Wow. <laughs> um, well, for any of our listeners who, who don't know, your 2016 album, The Wild Swan, was released on Gingerbread Man Records, which is Ed Sheeran's label. So you guys have, have really, you know, become intertwined in one another's lives and, and career in a, in a very real way. And that record um, featured the song She Burns, which is probably one of your most popular uh, songs. She burns, yeah. She burns like petrol soap, paper, fireworks. And I'm burning, yeah, I'm burning, I'm burning so deep it's breathing hurts. I'm melting down and I can't let go. I'm melting down and I can't let go. I'm melting down and I can't let go. Love to hear the backstory on that one. Uh, that's about my second ex-wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? That's just that feeling when you're kind of 
ah, my God, I don't even know how I don't, I, you know what, if I, if I could, if I could articulate it, I wouldn't have had to sing it, you know? Yeah. Huh. Well, you know, the moment I'm talking about that, 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 that moment where it just, you, you, you're so loved up. You can't see anything. Mm, right. And, uh, and those moments are, are get more and more rare. <laughs> yeah. You know, but you know, I remember them. And yeah, I remember those moments. And that's what yeah. I guess that's what it was just feeling like, oh my God, I might be in some serious trouble here because <laughs> I don't think I can think straight and I'm finding it hard to breathe. What the fuck are we going to do about this? You know, it's, it's interesting you talk about not being able to articulate something so you express it in a song. And it's, it's probably dicey for me to go deeper on something that is already hard to articulate, but I'm going to. Um, oh, we're breaking all kinds of boundaries. Right. <laughs> I, I wonder, you know, if, if some of that difficulty to articulate, you know, for, for writers is just because, well, hey, if you're going to give me only words, that's not enough. Uh, words plus melody. I, I need to bring in the reinforcements. I need to bring in rhythm. I need to bring in cadence. Those things are important to, to telling this story because words, words alone are failing me. Mm. Um, it, it's interesting because, you, you know, you, you, when you put an idea into a three-minute song, you probably use fewer words than you would if you were just telling the story. But something about how they're placed next to each other, how the music and melody interact, how the spaces, the distances between the words, how they interact, um, somehow lends help to the articulation of the idea. Oh, I mean, I think that's the that's the key to a, a song in a sense is that soon as soon as it, you you start to lose sight of the composite parts and the 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 fifth element appears that transcendental mm. element of the song that you can't quite put your it's a feeling that you get yeah you know you know when that song comes on it can make you feel sick because you fell out with a girlfriend or, or whatever or it can make you whatever a song can come on and have a real physical reaction on you yeah yeah, and I think that's a lot. I think that's a lot to do with yeah. Once you once you get past the melody, the cadence, the chords, the rhythms, it's that that bit beyond. That's the bit mm. you're looking for. That's the that's the yeah. that's the real gravy there. <laughs> you know, outside your your albums, there is a bit of a uh, maybe I'll call it a, a Nashville strain that popped up around 2016. You had a, a song called "Pushing Time" on Miranda Lambert's album "The Weight of These Wings," um, mm -hmm. co-written with. Um, Natalie Hemby, who is a, a friend of mine and a friend of the show. She's actually been on a, a couple times. Um, in that same year, you, you released a single moonshine, which had Casey Musgraves, uh, on it. And, um, I'm curious, you, you mentioned having spent time in, in Oklahoma as a child. Um, but what is your relationship with country music as, as a writer and what ways has, has that country tradition kind of influenced your sensibilities? Hugely, hugely. Outside of urban music, it's the last bastion of folk music. You know that kind of people talking about real life. Like it feels like the last thread to the old way that people would have written songs, written songs about what's going on around them and passing it on to other people. Yeah, you know this is what's going on in my life. This is what happened, and this is how I dealt with it, and this is how I think you should deal with it. And here's here's all the knowledge I have. Pass it on. Sing it to someone else. I feel like I feel like in the country music, there's still a real desire for the like, what are, what are we saying? What's the story? Mm. There always has to be a story. There always has to have a, like a meaning. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And that's not always, that's not always the first thing that comes up in the room, you know, outside of that kind of sort of comfy approach. And like in Nashville, I love writing in Nashville because there's a, there's a genuine desire to get something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel mercenary. I hate that. If you walk into a room and there's someone in there that you think has got the eye on, if we write a good one today, it might be, might get you anything. Nah, <laughs> vibe killer. Get rid of the buzz killer. <laughs> you know, uh, not too many miles away from Nashville uh, is Muscle Souls, Alabama. Um, and even closer to Nashville is Memphis. And there were two albums that you had um, around 2019 uh, from Muscle Shoals and to Memphis, which uh, seemed to me kind of like a Rubber Soul Revolver, you know, companion album situation there. Um, really cool records. I mean, like You Love Are My Only, just so groovy with the, the you know, those horn stabs and that soulful bass line. I'm listening to the songs I'm just imagining that experience of you being there recording them again I'm thinking how I'd be shaking in my boots because you go into some musty old room that smells like old cigarettes and you think one of these might have been Wilson Pickett's cigarette <laughs> um, what yeah. d- talk a bit about the experience of of recording th- those albums and um, you know I- I'm sure a lot of people talk about the similarities between them but I'd like to know kind of how you see the differences between the two albums well to me there's a them. I mean, the sound that mode that the uh, muscle shoal sound, it's it can't you can try and get apps to replicate it, I'm sure, but there's only way there's only one way of getting that sound, and it's to go there and do it, yeah, and and get get swampy ass motherfuckers that can play it, <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, and that's like a hot box of let's get in there, let's wang the songs out, and also it's got. Rich is still on the walls. You know what I mean? It's that, that you, you know he's broken just about every incredible singer you've ever heard in your life. A stood in that booth just going, please no more, Rich. One more time. <laughs> One more time. W- were you writing there in the studio? Did you kind of absorb the vibes of the place to create or did you bring the no, songs in? No, I have the song. So the only reason, well, not the only reason I, I did them because I, I wanted to do them, but the, the reason it came about, I suppose, was because when I was trying to write, I got off the road and I was trying to write the record and the songs weren't coming. So I was correlating all the songs that I've written, trying to see, do I have an album here of stuff that makes sense? And yeah. I'm sort of compiling that, working title Republic of Eden, uh, but Republic of Eden is the only song out of that entire list that made it on in the end. Huh. Um, yeah, so I was doing that and, that and none of those songs were exciting me. I wasn't excited about the record, but what I did start to get excited about was how quickly these... I made two two very blunt, uh, bluntly named playlists like Soul and Americana, hmm. and just lashed anything that was remotely like one or the other into, um, and they I had made other lists, but Soul and Americana filled up to an album like immediately. Yeah, wow. And I thought, wow, I I was only meant to go and do an EP. I was meant to go and do five songs at Muscle Shoals, go there for two days. Two days recording, one day mixing. 
drive up to Memphis, two days recording, one day mixing, and fly home with two EPs. Um, but got the muscle shows, vibe was good, ended up getting six songs in that session. And then just I don't know, the energy was the energy was right, and, and I was I was feeling excited. I'd just written a new song called Only the Artist. I wrote it in the toilet of the Muscle Shoals, uh, Hampton <laughs> Muscle Shoals, uh, and recorded it on my phone so as I didn't forget it. And then when we got into our higher car, the song played the whole way to Memphis. Every, every time I switched it off, it would play. Wow. Uh, and we were going, that's a sign, that's a sign. Yeah, that's a sign, yeah. So drove to Memphis, and then when I went into the studio, I went to tell Matt this story, Matt uh, Rossbang. I just met him and I said, hey, man, first thing out of the gate, I got to tell you about this song. I think we might need to exchange one of the other songs for it. It's been playing in the car and it started playing in my pocket. Ha. The song started playing right in my pocket. And Matt was, he was going like, is that it? I was going, that's it? Wow. So we, so we got to do this song. And I don't know. It was just like an excitement, you know, like uh, that something, something's happening. That transcendental thing I keep talking about that. There's something, there's an energy here that just feels right and good. Um, yeah. Wow. So when, in, the, in, in that studio, in Sam Phillips Recording Studios, we ended up getting 11 songs in two days because it just, it just, it was such a natural conversation with those musicians. They were the, that was the uh, finest conversation I had ever been part of anyway, just watching, watching how they, you know, they would, like Al Gamble, who somebody should chain that fucker up. He should be allowed <laughs> out. The Hammond player, incredible, but, you would see him just feeding off. I don't know, just the way, the way they spoke. I knew, I knew it was going to be good. Cause I called Matt Rossman and I said, I want you to get me 10 people that eat, sleep, breathe and shit this music all day, every day. And always yeah. have done since they were young. And yeah. it's just going to be like DNA, like oil in the hands of a mechanic. They're not even going to have to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. exactly, that's exactly what it was. It was just ingrained in them. Um, I, they knew exactly where to go. And if I moved, they went with me. It was, uh, <laughs> I loved it. Did wow. you, um, did, were, when you were at Muscle Shoals, were you recording at Fame or at Muscle Shoals Sound? Uh, at Fame. Okay. At Fame, yeah. at, Rick, at Rick's place, yeah. Right. So you got a song written in the bathroom at Fame and recorded at Sam Phillips Studio in Memphis. That that may be <laughs> the, 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 the most, most Southern yeah, soul yeah, thing I'm, ever. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think Mick Jagger wrote the lyrics to uh, Brown Sugar or Wild Horses, one of those, in the bathroom at Muscle Shoals Sounds. There's a great yeah. tradition of uh, bathroom writing in that town, I guess. Yeah, although well, mine wasn't in Fame Studios. It was in the Hampton Suites, the Muscle Shoals Hampton Suites or whatever they're called, uh, right. in my right, hotel right. room. Although I right. might just change it, edit that bit out and let people think it was Fame Studios. That make it a better story. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> Bill Withers used to write songs while he was installing toilets and airplanes. Yeah. There you go. There's a so, there's yeah. a bathroom theme. Yeah. Can you imagine um, that? Lovely D. Lovely D. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Lovely D. Hey, Lovely there's a lot of soul in the hole, you know. <laughs> um well, I want to ask you about the song uh The Christ and the Crook, which is on To Memphis. And if you talked about your your father being a pastor and 
um, you know, I look at that song and it sounds like a real kind of wrestling with the idea of the church versus teasing out kind of the, the kernel of the essence uh, of what's there beyond uh, the disillusionment that can come, you know, with institutions. Um, w- would love to hear in what ways kind of your own spiritual journey or, or theological wrestling has manifested itself in, or even shaped your creativity as a songwriter. Uh Hugely, I would have maybe felt awkward saying that a wee while ago, but I think I've realized something now. You know, kind of, because I don't have the I don't have the belief that uh, I don't I don't have the belief in in the Christ story that he rose from the dead and is now that there's that there's a Christ in heaven now a man in heaven who lived here two thousand years ago that God sent down to the Middle East in the middle of nowhere when there was no internet and communication was terrible is up in the sky interceding with a god for our sins and however i grew up with those bible stories and so and so did most people in my area uh and you know anyone i think anyone that grows up with that and it's in them it's remiss of you to throw the baby out with the bathwater in a way you know what I mean? Although I don't believe, although I don't believe in that way, and I don't, I don't feel I need to to get the benefits of. I think the Bible is one of the most incredible. I mean, it is the most incredible bit of literature ever written. Really, that's it. You know, hmm. and it's it's full of rich stories and horrible stories, hard things and and glorious things, uh, and just profound things. Like my favorite verse of the Bible is meaningless meaningless everything is utterly meaningless <laughs> <laughs> no one's saying that in church are they <laughs> that's yeah a... let's please stand and join us as we sing meaningless meaningless everything meaningless, is meaningless meaningless <laughs> everything is utterly meaningless was it between those two 2019 records that you uh, released the song blood with Elenium? oh i think so yeah i'd actually written that uh with John Mathieu and Johnny Coffer and a band, an Irish band called Bioga. Hmm. And it was meant to be for their record. Although it was, it was written about my daughter though, who was getting a bit of a hard time in the schoolyard. Uh, so I'm glad I, got, I'm glad I got to see the light of the day, that one. You know, I just, I love the fact that when you, you had just been doing something that was so specifically style-based in one direction um, that you said, hey, I'm, now I'm going to flip the switch completely and, and do this kind of full dubstep thing. Um, and is there something in you that, that just wants to say, hey, please don't put me in a box. You know, I, I want to be able to make music, any kind of music. Don't, you know, don't put me in a certain kind of category. If, if that is admitting for me, it's, it's because that's what I'm, that's how, that's probably what I'm saying to me. I don't want to, mm. I don't remember not to get, and I'm, I don't even think I have to remind myself of that. Like I said, music is music, irrespective of it. It's not like I went out and sought out, uh, Ilium. you know, he, he heard the song. I think, I think maybe Steve Bursky again, <laughs> he sent, he sends it out to people because he's got ideas for other ways we can, you know, like that song, if it's not going to go on the Bioga record, maybe it's, it'd be a great, it'd be a, make a great dance thing. I think he maybe sent it out or mm. I don't know who sent it where, but all I know is I got a call saying, this guy, Elliam has done a cover your track, this song, you know, what do you think? And I thought it was cool. Take your hand, comfort you. It's the least that I can do. Cause 
I don't I don't know if I would cover that version at my gig, per se. <laughs> you probably Although, to bring a whole they? different setup. Yeah. Well, coming back uh, to signs of life as we just kind of uh, begin to to wrap up here, but um, you know, I listen to a song like Roman Attack, and and that's a song that probably signals the most stark departure from the you know straight ahead soul of of the Muscle Shoals Memphis stuff. You know, it's got that just kind of a difference in terms of the, the cadences and the melodic rhythm. I mean, it's just that kind of fresh, it's not a retro sound, which you did so perfectly. It's, it's kind of a, a more updated type of sound and coming back to like what, what Paul was saying in, in terms of as an artist or as a songwriter, you know, people don't tend to want to be pigeonholed or, or put into, to one, um, you know, box, but I guess, when you are an artist and you, you have a certain style, you have certain instincts, what continues to inspire you? What continues to excite you as you create? Do you know what? In a word, listening. Hmm. I really think that's the, that's the, I mean, yeah, as soon as an idea comes, it's good to be able to have craft, to be able to articulate that idea on a guitar or a piano or a, and turn it into a lyric or a melody. But before all that stuff happens, like the, if the idea is there, mm. it's already there. You just need to listen and, you know, not get ahead of yourself, be still and wait till you hear something that, yeah. that makes you feel a bit of something. And then as soon as you feel that, then go with it and don't, don't fake it. Don't force it. Um, so I listening keeps me inspired because the songs are there. Ideas are right there. Wherever they come from, I have no idea, but they're that's it definitely. Or maybe they're inside somewhere. Maybe it's a mm. maybe it's just a mixture of memories in your subconscious running around your head and creating a racket. And every now and then a sound comes <laughs> out. Like who knows what it is or where it comes from. Quite frankly, I don't really care. Um, I know mm. that I know that it's I know that I'm held together with resonance, and that resonance goes right out to the outer edges of the universe. So we're, we are a song. You know, there are, you, you've talked a bit about fatherhood and, you know, and your kids and, and your relationship with your daughter. I have two daughters of my own. Sometimes a certain song will just, just hit me, man, just right in the gut. And one of those songs is a song by a band called Elbow called Magnificent. And I remember hearing that on a plane and just kind of like crying on the plane. And then I came across System. Um, on your record and, and, and you talk about the things you about listening and, and for me sometimes my children will say the most devastatingly beautiful things and and sometimes there's there's so much ache in it that I'm like I don't even know how you could possibly have encapsulated that at this young age but they'll, they'll just say something that's so profound so simply profound and when I when I got to the second half of this song we stepped on the one that we had time to make watch the sun descend and daylight fade away you said, I wish the sunset would never end. You know sometimes, Daddy, you're my only friend. We stopped on the one that we had time to make. Watch the sun descend and daylight fade away. You said, I wish the sunset would never end. You know sometimes, Daddy, you're my only friend. What she needs is a system. What she needs is a system. What she it's the 
word sometimes for me, honestly, um, that gets me because it, it even talks, it makes me feel about that sense of a child, even recognizing their own feelings, recognizing the transient nature of them, and, and, but also recognizing this, this incredible depth um, in, in a way that the song articulates, in a way that a child can articulate that I don't think that I could articulate. Well, I can tell you that was, there was no craft in writing that. Hmm. We were driving from San Francisco down to Los Angeles, and we did stop on the one. Yeah. Even though we were hauling ass at the end of this journey, we needed to get down, but the sun was about to set and I wasn't about to miss this. It was the first mm. time I'd ever driven down the one. I was with my daughter. Uh, the sun was setting over the Pacific. We stopped on the one, although we had time to make. And yeah. that's, and that we watched the sun descend and the daylight fade away. And she did turn around. I mean, it's, you know, I wish that sunset would never end. And she did say, sometimes daddy, you're on my own. So I never had to, I didn't have to write anything. All I had to God. do was listen. Listen. Yeah, and you're listening. Listen yeah. when I was playing the ukulele, and I knew it was about her anyway. And then that the story that's exactly what happened. So all I had to do was say what happened. I mean, what what a gift to be able to put that in a song because we 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 spent our time searching to try to take the perfect photo and try to capture the light before it fades. And and you captured the light in that lyric in a way that I don't think a photo even could. Oh man, thank you very much. You know what? Yeah, I always beautiful. feel like like my dog, my I've I've got three kids, like two, four, two, five, and eighteen, coming nineteen, uh, and the eighteen-year-old, obviously, she gets to that point as all kids do when they hit the age of reason, they start to question mortality and death. And she was saying to me about, you know, what, what, what you're gonna die one day, and I'm saying, darling, that's not how it works for artists. I'm never gonna die. Anything you, hmm. anytime you need me, just as long as you believe in the speed of sound, put the record on. Put the record on anything I've ever needed to say or anything I have to say is there. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, the um, most recent album is Signs of Life. Very cool record. Uh, Foy, thank you so much for taking some time with us today to talk about writing and and your career. Uh, This has been really great. My pleasure, Chance. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. And of course, nothing beats a personal recommendation. Perhaps take a moment right now to text or email one friend who you think would appreciate what we do and send them a link to our show, letting them know how much you enjoy it. As a reminder, you can sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and find out how to help support us at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Conversations on Instagram and Songcraft Show on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. 